On Tuesday, Oklahoma voters sent the state's seven electoral votes to President Donald Trump. Voters in the 5th Congressional District elected Republican State Senator Stephanie Bice over Democratic incumbent Kendra Horn, and statewide voters rejected a state question to eliminate sentence enhancements for those convicted of nonviolent crimes. I'm Ben Felder, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with my colleagues about Tuesday's election results and what they say about the state of politics in our state moving forward. Okay, well, on an election night, like most news outlets, uh, we had a team of reporters uh, covering various elections and races, state questions, um, and I've got uh, three of the Frontiers reporters joining me today uh, to talk about what we saw on election day. So let's start with uh, the Frontiers editor-in-chief, Dylan Goforth. Uh, Dylan, who is in Tulsa, I believe, right? How are you doing, Dylan? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I spent yesterday in Tulsa hitting up some different polling places. Okay, and uh, just down the road in Tulsa, I think, Cassie McClung. How are you, Cassie? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And finally, uh, Brianna Bailey down in Norman. Brianna, how are you? I'm doing good. Well, um, I, th- I thought we'd start at the top with the presidential election and just kind of drew our way down into the other races. But first, before we get into the actual results, let's revisit a little bit about what we saw on Election Day, specifically what the process of voting was like in precincts during this COVID-19 pandemic that is uh, still a force in the state. And Cassie, that's something that you wrote about on election day. Um, you know, kind of briefly, what did we see? What kind of precautions were in place for those that were voting in person on Tuesday? Right. So for those voting in person and first I'll say Oklahoma broke records um, for this general election for both, you know, early voting, absentee voting and in-person voting. So because of COVID-19, it looked a lot different than normal, you know, um, masks weren't required at every polling place, you know, unless you live in a city that actually passed its own mandate, but there's no statewide mandate. Um, but, you know, poll workers were, for the most part, all wearing masks um, or face shields. There was a lot of hand sanitizer around. And I thought it was kind of interesting. The state election board actually had uh, disposable pens this time around. Mm-hmm. So everyone who, you know, you get a pen to mark your ballot, but you take it with you instead of giving it back and recycling it, you know, just new measures to kind of try to stop the spread of COVID-19. Yeah. And we saw a lot of people vote early absentee ballot through the mail. Um, I would imagine the motivation for many was to avoid the crowds, but we ended up seeing some crowds with the early voting, at least at the in-person early votings as well. Um, and uh, some of those same precautions were, were in place last week as well. Yeah, right. And one of the things I thought was interesting, I talked to several people this year who voted by mail for the first time. And it was easier this year. You know, not only were people trying to avoid going to the polling places, you know, being around a lot of people, but it was also more convenient this year because they weren't required to get it notarized. And a lot of people I talked to, I think everyone I talked to who tried mail in for the first time this year said they're going to do it again just because it was so convenient to be able to fill it out at home and be able to research, you know, the candidates as they did. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see if there's any steps taken to try to increase access to, to voting, early voting. I know Governor Stitt said on election day that he was kind of surprised at the at the lines for early voting and uh, said that was something that 
his office was looking at. Uh, we'll see. We'll have to see if there's any bills filed this year to make voting easier or harder. <laughs> I guess it could go either way. Um, but let's get to the actual results that we saw on Tuesday, um, starting with the presidential race, which as we're taping this Wednesday afternoon, we still don't know the winner. Um, it looks like Biden might have a slight edge based on how the map looks. But what we did know pretty quickly was that, uh, unsurprisingly, Donald Trump won the state of Oklahoma. Um, maybe a little surprising, or at least the, the most drama of the presidential race, was whether or not Biden was going to win any counties. And really, it was Oklahoma County, home to Oklahoma City, that was that was the most uh, in, in play, if you will. Uh, but no, Trump won won every county, um, a slim slim win here in Oklahoma County. Dylan, I mean, that, that we saw a lot of things that were interesting about Oklahoma County and central Oklahoma that we'll kind of get into in some other races. Um, but, I mean, were you surprised to see Trump uh, take every county? I mean, I guess he's done it before he did it last time. No, I think it's one of those things that probably will have to have to happen um, before, uh, you know, anyone sort of takes it for granted. I mean, it's, it's, it's a Democrat candidate's going to have to win a county once before anyone will expect it, you know, moving forward. But there were some real gains in Oklahoma County, if you look at the voting totals. I mean, um, across the state, you know, voting was up. But in Oklahoma County, voting for Trump was pretty much flat. I mean, he got about 3,500 more votes um, compared to 2016. Uh, and, and Biden, I mean, he got... You know, he got close within about 3,500 votes of, of catching Trump. And so he, Biden outperformed Clinton from 2016 in Oklahoma County. So while it didn't turn blue, it got about as close as it could get, um, you know, without without getting it over the line. So, I mean, like I said, it'll probably, you know, someone will have to do it once before anyone expects it moving forward. But, um, but yeah, Democrats got close. Yeah. And, you know, and speaking of someone who, you know, Oklahoma County, my home county, live here in Oklahoma City, um, you know, Oklahoma County, the most populous in the state, but it's a pretty diverse county. And I don't mean just racially, although that that is the case. There are some very rural parts. Uh, I mean, we talked, I talked to a, a political strategist this morning who's like, you know, if you take out Luther and Jones and kind of the northeast part of the county, I mean, the county probably goes blue. Um, you also have a lot of blue collar communities as well. I mean, we all, we, we often talk about those Rust Belt states that, that broke for Trump. Um, you can see some similarities and kind of the, the western part of the county or the southwestern part of the county with some of those precincts where voters have maybe seen some um, industrial jobs that, that have left. So um, a lot of talk about the uh, kind of a lot of young professionals, more progressive families moving into the urban core. That's definitely been the case, but uh, there's still a lot of diversity across across the county. Um, so Trump was able to win every county. Uh, not too surprising there. You know, another a couple other statewide issues, two state questions were on the ballot. Um, Brianna, let's start with you. You were following state question 805. Um, real quick, remind us what that state question was, and then um, what did we see from voters on Tuesday? So uh, state question 805 would have um, uh, removed sentence enhancements for nonviolent offenses, meaning, um, you know, if you were uh, convicted of a felony, uh, prosecutors couldn't use any of your prior criminal convictions as long as they were nonviolent to seek a longer sentence for you. And I was at the uh, Yes on 805 watch party last night in Northeast Oklahoma City. And I think there was uh, a lot of surprised people in the room. I think they, they thought it was going to be a close race, uh, but they were going to, you know, pull it out for a victory. And, uh, but it failed, failed in, all but Oklahoma County. 
Yeah. And we've seen voters approve some, some sentencing reform measures in recent years, and there's been a lot of talk towards, you know, criminal justice reform in a, in a state that leads the nation leads the nation in incarceration. The pro eight hundred five group had spent, you know, millions of dollars on this, and so maybe there was some surprise because of how much they invested. But I always felt like this was going to be a hard one to pass. I mean, there was the, the opposition really played up. Um, domestic violence offenders as getting a free pass is how they kind of put it uh, with this. Did, did the pro 805 group, I mean, did they just feel like they, they lost that messaging to Oklahomans who, who weren't sure what they were voting on? Right. So I think, you know, it's kind of a, a truism that people say that, you know, with state questions, people will vote against it if they don't understand it. And the SO5 folks that I talked to, they really believe that, um, yeah, a lot of people didn't understand what the measure would do. And they, they say that there was a lot of misinformation coming from uh, prosecutors and law enforcement community that opposed it. But I mean, you know, to be fair, there were some there were some issues with the do- domestic violence offenses that yeah a lot of them aren't classified as violent crimes in Oklahoma. That's something that the legislature would would have to uh, you know change, and that was an issue. And the domestic violence advocates they really came out strong and against this proposal as well as district attorneys. And you know it was a you know, it, it was a good, strong argument for them. I think they they got a lot of voters on their side with that argument. Yeah, and domestic violence rates are, are, are kind of high in Oklahoma, so this is definitely an issue that many families have experience with. Um, uh, law enforcement community was was opposed to this, including both both count, uh, candidates for Oklahoma County Sheriff. They actually held a, a joint press conference, uh, I think a week before this election, to come out against it. I thought that was interesting. Governor Kevin Stitt opposed it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of public opposition. And, and as you're right, I think as voters, when they don't really quite understand, you know, state question, they, they don't tend to vote for it. There was one other state question on the ballot, and that was 814. Uh, Cassie, that was something that you took a look at. Um, this had to do with the, the funding that was going towards the Tobacco Settlement Trust. Uh, what do we see in, on that state question on Tuesday? Right. So that was also rejected by Um, voters on Tuesday and, you know, Oklahoma County and Tulsa County too, you know, overwhelmingly. And I think one of the most interesting things about, you know, state question 814 is unlike criminal justice reform and medical marijuana that we saw put on the ballot by voter initiatives, you know, with a petition, the legislature actually put the state question on the ballot. So it didn't necessarily have that public support behind it already that we saw with previous state questions. And this was diverting funds from TSET to the legislature. Um, you know, people that I had heard from that had opposed to this, the common argument I heard was that they didn't really trust the legislature to, to give them uh, this money. Is that kind of what you saw? Right. A lot of the health organizations in the state were against it because TSET, you know, it's used for public health initiatives, like trying to discourage people from not smoking, cancer research, etc. So there was a lot of doubt that the legislature would use the money for uh, Medicaid costs, which, you know, again, voters passed Medicaid expansion through a ballot initiative back in June. And 
814 would have only covered a small portion of that cost anyways. So I think a lot of people, um, you know, their argument was that it was kind of a cop-out for lawmakers who didn't want to properly fund Medicaid expansion in the first place. Yeah. So both state questions fail. Um, when it comes to the candidates that were on the ballot, uh, Tuesday was a good night for Republicans. Uh, the Republicans have a lot of uh, power in the state, so it's not too surprising. Um, but they picked up uh, some seats in the state house. I think they picked up five. Uh, they stayed flat in the Senate, uh, but re- both but retained a, a quite a big majority. But maybe the biggest race for Republicans was the fifth congressional district, so Oklahoma County, um, uh, Seminole and Potawatomi County, County, so mostly the Oklahoma City area. This was where Kendra Horn, the incumbent, the Democrat who'd flipped the seat two years ago was uh, battling with State Senator Stephanie Bice, uh, who ended up winning this by about four four points. Uh, Dylan, was this a surprising result? I mean, I think this was kind of pegged by many as one of the most competitive House races in the nation um, and one that Republicans felt like, you know, they weren't ready to concede this quite yet to to the to the urban district and, and they were able to, to take it back. Yeah, you know, Horn, like you said, was always kind of, that seat was always viewed as the most vulnerable, um, you know, maybe in the country uh, after, uh, 2018. And so I think I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't surprised by it be, just because um, they're, I mean, I don't know, I hesitate to call them similar candidates, but they're both, they're, they're both more moderate than had it been Terry Neese and Kendra Horn. And so mm-hmm. you lose that sort of ability to easily distance um, one from the other. And it is, it, it is a purple district, but it's a, it's a red state. And I, you know, there's, politics are very reactionary. Each election is reactionary compared to the one before it. And I think that it was always, you know, that seat was something that Republican voters felt that they lost by, you know, through inaction. And I think that's, I mean, if you looked at 2018 race, that's what, that's how that happened. There was an action on, on their candidates part and on the voters part. And I think they were um, sort of like, you know, a mirror to how maybe national Democrats feel about the presidential election this go around compared to 2016, there was a feeling of we're not going to let that happen again this time. We've got to get that seat back. And, um, and, you know, and they and they did it. And there was a lot of national money put into that race, too, because it was viewed as such a, a vulnerable seat in a in a house that was, you know, Republicans desperately wanted to to make up some ground in. And so. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really surprised. I think, you know, I've done some interviews today with uh, different people talking about that race and one of the things they said is that they you know it it could very easily be viewed as the most vulnerable republican seat in 2022 because it was not it's not like you know four points is a massive margin um put the right candidate in there for democrats in 2022 and it could be you know democrat especially if that district gets more and more purple going forward it could be viewed as a a seat that Democrats desperately want to to retake in in 2022, and so that will pretty much be a battleground uh, for the foreseeable future uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and you know, based on Horn's concession speech last night, I just I, I guess I wouldn't rule her out making another run for yeah. the seat. Um, and uh, you know, I remember hearing Stephanie Bice's name as a possible count candidate a day after the 2018 election. I asked some people kind of who they thought, and Horn's name was brought back up again as someone who might run again. Uh, Carrie Bloomer, Oklahoma County Commissioner, and Cindy Munson, a House member here in Oklahoma City, were some other names that I heard. And so I, I would imagine we will know, um, we'll hear some candidates in, in the months to come as, as Democrats will probably see this as a pretty competitive seat. I think one thing that was interesting to me, and I think this comes down to running in a pre- presidential election year versus a mid-year, midterm year, is that when Horn won 
in 18, um, there was a governor's race at the same time. I think she was helped by Drew Edmondson, who also did well in a lot of the suburban precincts that she picked up. And education was such a big issue. And it was like policy was kind of front and center. And, and I don't know if that is just kind of how the midterm election you know, falls or if it's because Edmondson did a good job of kind of framing it as a policy race, even though he lost in the statewide race. Um, but this year was really about identity. And I talked to one Republican strategist who said, you know, when with Trump on the ballot, it's just it's identity politics. And, and a lot of Republicans and conservatives, even in CD5, uh, when they see him being attacked nationally, they feel like they're being attacked. And this was really just about showing up for their for their man and going in their corner um, because this wasn't really a policy driven election. I mean, you know, I don't mean this to be critical of Vice. I think she played it as an identity race because, you know, Horn was the one that had more details when it came to health care and other issues. And, and, you know, and Horn was the incumbent. So she was operating from that position um, to, to be able to be able to do that. Um, in Oklahoma County, we also saw the uh, Republican candidate for sheriff win. Um, not too surprising as the sheriff has traditionally been Republican, but um, Democrats, they know, were hoping to, to pick up that seat. I, I'm curious, as we kind of wrap up here, I'll kind of extend this question to everyone here. Just, I mean, what are some other big takeaways you guys, as you guys kind of assess what we saw here in Oklahoma? I know a lot of us, our mind is still on the presidential race, and we've got one eye on that and trying to figure out what that's going to look like for the country. But um, did we learn anything about Oklahoma in 2020 with the election results? You know, I just think it's I mean, kind of going back to to CD5 in Oklahoma County a little bit. I think it's going to be, that'll just be a very interesting area for, you know, probably the rest of our lives because it's gonna, it's gonna be an, a place where, depending on, you know, the structure of each individual, you know, ballot, each individual election, it's, it's a place where candidates are gonna, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, they're gonna have to appeal to the middle ground um, a little bit, I think, in that area. If, if you look at the CD5 race, had it been Kinder Horn and Terry Neese running against each other because Neese's identity was so um, was so tied to being the complete opposite of Kinder Horn, that I, don't, I think Horn would have gone in yesterday as the favorite, and it's not necessarily true because you had two moderates uh, who had to actually compete with each other. And I think that district is going to be, in that county, will be like that. Uh, moving forward for a long time where it, it, people are going to have to compete more uh, against each other in races there, as opposed to just being able to brand themselves as, you know, a member of their individual party. And it'll be interesting. I mean, I just think yesterday was a good example of what you'll see there going forward um, with, you know, sort of maybe uh, outcomes in different races that don't necessarily um, match up with each other, right? Where it's not a straight, you know, essentially a straight party uh, series of wins. I think it's each individual race will, will be measured on its own merit on, and its own candidate's merit. And so it'll be interesting to see how, where that county, that district goes in the future. Yeah. And I think you're right. It probably would have been a different race if Terry Neese was the Republican challenger. Um, I know at least one person thinks so. I, you know, I wrote a story right before the runoff between Vice and Terry Neese that was, uh, you know, I guess 
you could put it not flattering for Nice, and I don't know that that made a difference, but she ended up losing, even though she finished first in the, in the, the initial primary. And I got an email from a Horn supporter this morning that said, thanks a lot with some other choice words. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, maybe the, the, uh, many people do think that it might have been a different race. Uh, Brianna, I'm curious, going back to the to the state question and the issue of criminal justice reform, where it, it felt like there'd been a lot of momentum. I, you know, I, I don't know that there'd been a wave, I wouldn't call it that, in Oklahoma to to really just restructure the criminal justice system, but there seemed like we were taking some steps. And I wonder if the criminal justice reform crowd sees this as a step back. Um, do you think this was just an isolated uh, issue? I mean, just voters were, were not happy with the particular language of this state question, or do you think the appetite for criminal justice reform in Oklahoma is, is starting to wane? I think there's still an appetite for criminal justice reform, but you're undoing um, basically decades of, uh, I don't know what else to describe it, but as dogma about mm -hmm. the criminal justice system. And there's a lot of deeply things that ingrained in the culture of Oklahoma and how we view um, the criminal justice system and what it does and what it's supposed to do. And you know, it, it may have been an issue with this, with this particular state question. Um, it's wording, the issue with the domestic violence uh, offenses that, yeah, it was problematic. And I don't, I don't know where they go from here. Um, there, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done in sentencing reform in Oklahoma. Oklahoma still sentences people to prison for, you know, longer than most other states. Yeah. And, and Brian, I know this is a conversation you and I have had before, whether or not we're kind of, if the low hanging fruit has kind of been picked on that front. I mean, it's one thing to uh, uh, change sentences for, you know, low, 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 low level drug offenses. Um, you know, especially when you're thinking about, you know, the, the mother that's sitting in prison for, for having a small amount of drugs on her. But when you start bringing up, you know, I know this wasn't for violent offenses, but when you start talking about some maybe more serious offenses, and of course, domestic violence was used as an example, um, it becomes a little tougher to make those changes. Right, right. Everybody wants to, you know, sing kumbaya over the people in prison for, uh, you know, marijuana and low-level property crimes. Nobody wants anyone to go to prison for, you know, writing hot checks and things like this. But, I mean... People still in Oklahoma, I don't think, have an appetite for um, rolling back sentencing in, you know, a widespread way for a lot of criminal offenses that people are in prison for here. Yeah. And I think for maybe any, it comes... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, for any meaningful change that's going to have to happen, I mean, they're going to have to look at Oklahoma's truth and sentencing law, which... Um, are the 85% crimes. And a lot of those are violent offenses. And there's a lot of people in prison for serving long, long sentences on those crimes. But there's just not much of an appetite here for it. Yeah. It's gonna and take think, years. Years yeah, and no, years I, of cultural shift for anything yeah. to happen with that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you're, it's, it wasn't too long ago where we were in the thick of the, you know, the tough on crime. Uh, you know, mantra that got many elected. So you're right. You can't just turn that around, uh, around that quickly. Um, 
Cassie, before we wrap up, I, I want to kind of put you on the spot here a little bit and see what your thoughts are on this. I mean, we did, like we started the episode with, I mean, we are in the, the throes of a pandemic that impacted the way that we voted. Um, nationally, you know, some exit polls, whether or not you want to trust that, seemed to show that COVID-19 was on the, the top of mind for many voters. It was the most important issue for, for most. Um, I don't know, is, does that have any impact, do you think, on, on voters here in, in Oklahoma? I mean, I know the governor wasn't on the ballot. There's been some criticism of his response, um, and maybe state legislatures aren't as relevant. Um, but uh, I don't know, it just was was this an issue for, for voters at all? If for no other reason, then um, I guess we did see a lot of mail-in ballots. So maybe this was something that people were thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think so. But I think as a whole... Um, you know, I obviously can't speak for everyone, but, you know, in Oklahoma, very red state, you know, they they support the way Donald Trump has handled the pandemic. So I think everyone's, you know, at the same time, really happy with the way Governor Sid has. And I think their approach is very similar. They want to keep businesses open, you know, keep the state open, keep focus on the economy and, you know, have that freedom of choice on whether they want to wear a mask or not. So I do think it, you know, affected how some people vote, but I think for the most part, people, um, the majority at least, are happy with how President Trump has handled the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talked to one uh, rural voter who was talking about in their, in her small town, um, a small little cafe had to close down, you know, briefly during the pandemic and how, just how devastating that was to the town. I don't know that it, how much it really changed like the local sales tax dollars to the municipality, but it kind of took away the identity of this town. I mean, the, one of the few places where people gathered. And so um, this economic downturn, I mean, it's, it, it's hurting urban and rural, but, you know, especially in these rural communities that don't feel like it's as relevant of an issue to them. Right. I mean, we've seen definitely that there's been spread in rural communities, but sometimes it's easy not to see, um, in some of these smaller, smaller towns. Right, exactly. You know, like you said, especially in rural Oklahoma and, you know, urban too, but people, you know, Governor Stitt has gotten a lot of criticism for not issuing a statewide mask mandate or issuing more restrictions on businesses. But I think the majority of Oklahomans are okay with that and actually prefer it. Yeah, well, obviously it continues to be a political split. I mean, uh, we saw Tuesday night, you know, Trump came out to speak to supporters in, in, in a crowded room and Biden came out on a stage in a drive, a drive-in rally where people were, you know, parked in their cars. So um, it's, uh, I'm not sure how relevant COVID-19 was for Oklahomans on local races, but was definitely a, a big issue issue nationally. So, um, well, the election results are in. I, I know we're going to continue to go forward and cover some of these important issues, whether it's criminal justice reform or health care or, or how things are going to shake out now here at the legislature with, with new members. Um, Cassie, Brianna, Dylan, thanks so much for your time. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Thanks.